Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. In this sermon, the fifth and final in the series Christmas in the Psalms, entitled The Joy of Christ, Pastor Justin looks at Psalm 86, examining how David, in a time of trouble, looked to God and his future Messiah for his joy, and challenges us to do the same. Lord, we ask that you be with us as we go into your word today. May you illuminate the scriptures to our hearts. May you cause our our souls to leap for joy as we hear the words of your mouth to us. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you be with us. Bring us closer together as a body. Help us as a church to reach out and evangelize the gospel to this community this year, that we may be a force that people know stands for truth, stands for you, but also stands for grace and mercy, that we love so much that we want to get out there and love in action. We pray all these things and so much more in your name. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. You're getting your Christmas sermon today. So one last Christmas in the psalm today, Psalm 98, page 585, if you want to open your pew Bibles. Rise as we read God's holy word. Hear God's word proclaimed to you this morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All of the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. May God bless this reading of his word. Please have a seat. Do you remember the best gift you got when you were a kid? Best Christmas gift, you open it up and it just made your Christmas morning. Does anybody, I'm just curious, anybody remember? For some of us, that's a long time ago. Some of us, even me, I can't remember last week. Favorite gifts. What was your, one of your favorite ones? Yeah, I think my favorite gift was one I got recently. Okay. All right, there you go. Favorite gifts as kids. Just call it out. I can't see some hands back. Shortwave radio. Nice. Anybody? Else? Little castle. Okay. A ballerina. Wow. All right. It's amazing that some of those gifts just stand in your memory. And when we're children, we assume that those gifts that are coming our way on Christmas morning will bring us all of the joy that we could ever want in a year. No wonder why kids place such a premium on Christmas morning. Those boxes, those gifts are joy packaged up. And they're so excited about the little action figures and the comic books and the video games. 
shortwave radios, and even that ugly sweater from Aunt Irma. All of that's joy, right? I remember when I was a kid, and every seven years, of course, happened what we just had, where Christmas lands on a Sunday. I remember my parents telling me about that. My heart just dropped. What do you mean we're going to church on Sunday? What do you mean? Because we had to go to church before we got any presents. And so I remember that Sunday just thinking, I wouldn't think this out loud, of course, but thinking in just my heart going, God is getting in the way of my joy. He's getting in the way of my presence. I get, oh, this is terrible having to wait that long. Of course, when I got to church that morning, found out that some of the kids got up super early and they got their presents already. I was like, oh man, that's, that's not our household. I felt like God was getting in the way of my joy. But the truth was that really I was getting in the way of the joy I could have had that Sunday morning with God. That's something I've learned over time. C.S. Lewis put it best when he said, the Lord really views our desires not as too strong but really, your desires are too weak. You are always desiring things that are just going to give you half-filled desires, half-filled joy. He says, when infinite joy is yours for the taking. God views our desires as not too strong, but too weak. He says, we're children building mud castles in the slums when we could have had a vacation on the beach nearby. The funny thing is, when I look back at past Christmases, and my parents are here and I don't say this to make them feel bad, I can't remember most of the gifts I ever got. But I can tell you that I do remember the joy that God's given me in His salvation because I still enjoy that to this day. That's a gift that I'm opening every single Sunday. It's a gift that gets better with time. So when we look at Psalm 98, we see that the psalmist it's just brimming over with this joy, this excitement and what God has done for him, the infinite joy of Jesus Christ. If it sounded a little familiar, it's actually because Psalm 96 and 98 are very similar in tone. But 98 here, the psalmist goes into more detail about the cause of our joy. And that's what I want to look at this Christmas plus one week morning. What is the cause of our joy? Why are we supposed to be happy even when some of us are sad, even when some of us have a lot going on in our lives that don't give us seeming cause for joy. Why do we have joy? Let's look back at the first few verses here. Speaking of Psalms, we all know there's songs, and you know how songs can start in different ways. Some songs start very quiet, right? They, they kind of like, it's like you're dipping your toes into the water. You're slowly getting acclimated to the temperature of the song, and then it gradually ramps up. Whereas other songs look to bowl you over in the first few notes. They're loud, they're immediate, and they crash in on you. They're really exciting. Some people like that, some people like the slow. But guess what the tone of this one is? It's not the slow ramp up, right? This is a song that wants to bowl you over the second you get into the first verse. Hear like this, this burst of exclamation here. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm, have worked salvation for him. It's almost like we start with the chorus. And it's just right there in front. And what the psalmist is saying, he says, you know what I love about God? I love that he practices what he preaches. He's not just all talk and all bluster, 
but no action. He is a God who gets to work. He rolls his sleeve up, and he flexes, and he gets things done. I think it's beneficial to meditate on this Christmas morning, New Year's morning, about how hard Christ had to work to save you. I'm not just talking about the cross, although that was certainly the hardest work he had to do, but there's so much involved in the hard work of Christ that led up to our salvation. And we don't meditate on it, we don't think upon it, we don't package it together enough. His work began when he restrained his divinity and he humbled himself to be born as a child. He submitted to his parents. I want you to think about that, that Jesus Christ created Mary and Joseph, sustained them and their, their will, their life force, and yet he submitted to this man and this woman as his parents. He submitted to them because of, out of his love for his father. He resisted a lifetime's temptation to sin. He resisted Satan when Satan came upon him to attack him time and again. He resisted that. He endured slander throughout his entire life. He dealt with his frustrating apostles and teaching them patiently and kindly. He was exhausted teaching the people and healing them and providing ministry for them. He was further humiliated during his trial, his crucifixion on the cross. He accepted all of the sins of the elect as if he had himself performed every single gross abomination to God, and he put all of those on his shoulders. He endured the wrath of God on the cross and died to our sins. That is hard work. If we have eyes to see it, we can see that Jesus here is the mighty warrior of Psalm 98, verse 1. He is the one who is flexing his arm. He's doing the most marvelous task of all history with his strength and his power. Whenever the Bible describes God in this kind of metaphorical language, when it says God has a mighty arm, he's using his arm, we don't say that there's like this spirit cloud out of there with a big arm sticking out of it, which is what I thought when I was a kid. But rather, it's like a metaphor of power in action. When somebody's flexing, you know they're getting ready to do something or they really want to impress you. So God is kind of flexing his muscles. He's letting you know that he has the power to do what he says he's going to do. I went to a Christian high school and we had chapels once a week, and we get together, and often they would have a special speaker. One week they brought in the power team. Anybody know the power team? Anybody? I'm going to date myself so badly right now. The power team was really popular in the 80s and the 90s. It was a group of Christian bodybuilders. And what they would do is they would come, I mean, giant hulks of men who had rippling muscle groups like we could only ever dream of ever having. And they would come and they'd do mighty works of feet of strength. They would take a phone book and rip it in half. And then they would like take cinder blocks and crush them with their heads and do all these things until they really had your attention. And then what they would do is they would share a testimony. Because their testimony was this, look how strong we are, yet God, our God, is stronger still. And that sort of thing made an impression upon all of us. These guys are so strong yet they all, they're pointing to a God who's stronger still. I want to get to know that God. I want to know a God who's stronger than that guy who just took that stuffed animal and tore it apart like it was nothing. Right? 
Mary wanted to know a God who's stronger still too. When the angel came down to tell Mary, Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. His name will be Jesus. The Holy Spirit will be upon him. Mary said this in her response. He says, she said, he has shown strength in his arm. He has shown strength in his arm. She knew that there is a great joy in a God who is willing to fight to save us and is powerful enough to accomplish that. So Isaiah 59 as well creates an incredible picture of Jesus striding into battle to fight for us. Isaiah 59 says, He put on righteousness like a breastplate, the helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in a cloak of zeal. And Isaiah goes on. He says, And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, says the Lord. A Redeemer is coming. And this Redeemer is armed for battle and he's ready to fight and he's going to fight for you. So today we take joy in the fact that Jesus did not fail in his mission to save us. He fought tooth and nail to grab you out of hell and bring you to him. That is why we have joy. But what good is it if Jesus does all this hard work and he fights for us if nobody even knows that he did it? And nobody knows how we can access that salvation. We have to get the word out. He has to get the word out of grace and forgiveness to as many people as possible. Now, maybe God could have hired a marketing team. That's one way to go about it. You want to get, you have a great product, a great service. You want people to know about it. You hire marketers. And it's their job to go out and just let people know you've got this awesome thing that everybody needs. Taco Bell had an amazing marketing campaign in 1996. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but the marketing team sent out a press release far and wide that said, Taco Bell is now purchasing the Liberty Bell, and they're going to rename it the Taco Bell. <laughs> 1996, we were all younger. We were more naive. The Internet wasn't around as much. Everybody believed them. And this was hilarious because so many people got really upset. Taco Bell, how dare they you know, buy the Liberty Bell? They weren't doing that. But they sent out this press release and everybody got the word. And of course, what happened? Taco Bell ended up making so much money that year because their marketing team got the word out. And that's what God wants to do when it comes to the grace of Jesus. It can't be a secret. It can't be something that's kept private to just a couple people. Jesus wants to get everybody's attention about this incredible offer of grace and forgiveness that he worked so hard to make available. So in verse 2 of Psalm 98, it says, The Lord has made known his salvation, has made it known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. So Jesus had something better than a marketing team. Jesus had the apostles. Jesus had his disciples. And so when he had died and was resurrected, he packaged this all together in Scripture, gave it to his followers and said, now go, go and baptize, spread all this news in my name, discipling people and letting them know about the grace that's available to them. He says, go to all of the nations and tell them that God is giving them a new song, that singing of a holy God that worked to save unholy people. 
Think about how difficult it would be for us today to find out how we access the grace of Jesus if we didn't have Scripture. If we didn't have anybody telling us, you would know because God would convict you of your guilt. You would know you're guilty, but how would you know how to fix that guilt? How would you know how to assuage that guilt to be right before God? You would, have, you would be lost. You'd be wandering around, stumbling about in the dark. No one would be able to explain to you what Jesus did and how you could have his grace and his forgiveness. That secret would be kept locked up tighter than Coca-Cola's formula. Instead, we have the greatest news spread to us even today in 2023 by these courageous men and women who Jesus gave the gospel to and said, now go and share it. And it's been shared for the last 2,000 plus years. We've gotten this news because he has revealed this knowledge to all the nations. He has worked to make this salvation known to us. Joy is knowing that God's word is not kept away from us, that it is not locked from us. One of the things we'll be talking about in our Reformation Theology 101 series is about how this wasn't always the case, that it used to be that the clergy would keep the Bible locked away from the people. You would not have a Bible. You could not read the Bible on your own. Other people read it for you. Other people interpreted it to you, but you did not have the ability to open up Scripture and read it on your own. That's changed because of the Reformation, and that's changed because God wanted us to have the joy of His Word to ourselves. That anytime you wondered how God felt about you, open up the Bible and read about His love for you. Read about how He worked to save you. Read about His desire for your life, His plan and purpose for you. You have that at your fingertips every day. That joy is made known every time you crack open the Bible Blow off that dust that maybe has accumulated a little too much over the past week and rediscover again and again how God cares for you and how God wants to lead you. If any of you know the classic and perhaps greatest comic strip of all time, Calvin and Hobbes, you'll know that Calvin, a little six-year-old boy, and his stuffed tiger Hobbes formed a club. They had a treehouse, and they formed a club one day. They called it GROSS, because he's a six-year-old boy. And this was an acronym. GROSS was an acronym for Get Rid of Slimy Girls. Not a perfect acronym, but we're, he went with it. Get Rid of Slimy Girls. And so he had his boys club, literally a boys club there in his treehouse. And he only has one friend at school, and she's a girl named Susie. And Susie comes by and sees this sign. It says, Get Rid of Slimy Girls, No Girls Allowed. And she puts her hands on her hips and she shouts up to him and says, girls aren't slimy. And Calvin says, don't get your gunk on me. I took a bath a week ago and I'm pretty clean. (laughs) But I think about Calvin and his very restrictive, very exclusive club whenever I look at Israel in the New Testament. I see a lot of people in the Gospels have the same sort of mentality with an exclusive club. And can you blame them? Because Israel of the New Testament was a country that had been conquered numerous times by then, was living under Roman occupation. They, were being, they had all their laws dictated to them. Their lives were restrained and restricted. The world looked down upon the Jews. So, of course, they're going to take the one thing that makes them special, and they're going to hold on to it for all it's worth. They're going to create their own exclusive 
tiny little club. And they say, well, everybody else may have all the money, all the military power, but guess what? We have Abraham. We have salvation. Nobody else gets in but us Jews. It was their club. So if you, you express to them, you ever wonder why in the Gospels, why in Acts, why in the letters, people are so adamantly opposed to letting Gentiles come into this club, to becoming saved too. This is why. It was theirs. But if it had remained theirs, what hope would we have today? What hope would we have? So in verse 2, we see, even back in the Old Testament, that this notion of God wanting to save more than just the Jews was already in action. This is not a New Testament phenomenon. Old Testament, right here in Psalm 98, what do you say? He made his salvation known to all the nations. And then goes on in verse 3, he says, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This is not a secret. This is not being kept just for the Jews, but it is for all people. If some of the Jews, some of the religious leaders in the gospel had their way, we wouldn't be welcome into heaven. We'd be on the outside. We'd be scratching at the door. We'd be lost forever because we would not fit into those very narrow set of parameters. But instead, we boast of joy this morning because part of Christ's marvelous works was to save anybody who believed in his gospel of peace, his gospel of grace and forgiveness. Anybody who wants to sign up with Christ today can do so. In a way, it's the most exclusive club, the most inclusive club. It's the most inclusive because anybody who wants to follow Christ can become saved. But it's exclusive because there is no other way under heaven and under earth to be saved except through this man. No wonder we have such cause to celebrate today. Puts me in mind of a, a lady named Betty. Betty lived back in the 1800s, but every church has somebody named Betty or somebody like Betty because Betty was the kind of person who just couldn't be quiet in church. She was the amen person. She was the praise of the Lord person. She was the hallelujah person. And she just kept doing that. And she was always the person breaking up the sermon or breaking up the, the prayers, which is these shouts of joy. It got to be a little much. So the pastor called her in one day and said, Betty, listen, I love your enthusiasm. You're on the right page here, but you got to simmer down. You just got to tell you, because you're, you're being very distracting to me. I've got a great sermon planned, and you know, here you are just jumping into the middle of it with your amens. And I'm not done yet, and amen should be at the end, Betty. So, so she says, listen, I'll make you a deal. He, the minister knew Betty was pretty poor. She said, listen, if you can go a month without interrupting my sermon, without interrupting my prayers, I'll buy you two of the nicest, thickest woolen blankets you've ever owned. And that seemed like a great deal. Betty was like, hey, man, I can't buy my own blankets. Okay, that's a deal, Pastor. Shake your hand. One month, I won't say a word in church. And it seemed like she kept true to her work. Week after week, she zipped her lips. She sat on her hands. She kept everything bottled up. Pastor got up there. He's enjoying the nice silence of a good Presbyterian crowd, right? Whereas, you know, everybody's nice and quiet. He's preaching. And it went pretty well until the last week of the month. The last week of the month, the pastor got up there and he made the mistake of preaching on salvation and preaching on the forgiveness of sin. And he was just talking about how, how much Christ worked to atone us 
of our sin and of our guilt. And as he's preaching about this, the Spirit of the Lord crashed in on Betty and just kept going more and more into the point where she got to this high point of happiness that in the middle of the sermon, she stood up and she said, blankets or no blankets, praise the Lord! I love that. Blankets or no blankets, praise the Lord. That's the response of anybody who truly understands what they've been saved out of and what they've been saved into. We have been saved out of something you can't possibly, in your most horrible nightmares, comprehend. But we have been saved into something that is going to fulfill your desires, your joy, beyond anything right now you can picture. When we finally realize that, is it any any uh, surprise that we're going to respond the way that the psalmist does here when he says, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise to the King, to the Lord. That's what we'll be doing. So th- today we're starting a new year together. And that's, I think, a great time to praise God for His salvation that is from of old. A salvation that gives us cause to know that we have joy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, blankets or no blankets, Lord, we praise your name. We praise your name above all things because, Lord, we have not worked to save ourselves. We were incapable. We were weak. We were helpless. We were defenseless. We sinned. We affronted you. We've worked against you. We caused you untold pain. And yet, Lord, you came down as a child. You lived obediently. And you worked to die on the cross to redeem the likes of us. Lord, today we don't have guilt. We stand guiltless and free and redeemed before you with your clothes of your righteousness upon our shoulders. Lord, we just praise your name. May we not stop praising your name all throughout 2023. May you just fill us up and give us cause to bless your name. Your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To reach out to Pastor Justin or to request prayer, send an email to pastor at noxepc.com or write to him at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m., either in person or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash noxypc. Visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at noxepc.